a differentiated firm says no more often than yes. And if you want to be a focused firm, you got to learn how to say no. If you'd like to earn CPE credit for listening to this episode, visit earmarkcpe.com. Download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. Continuing education has never been so easy. And now, on to the episode. Hello, and welcome to Building a Focus Firm with Hector Garcia, CPA. I'm Blake Oliver, your moderator for today's episode. This is the first installment in an eight-part series all about how to build an accounting or bookkeeping firm that gives you joy by focusing on what matters. Thank you to our sponsor, Avalara, for their financial support to make this series possible. Avalara's award-winning tax automation solutions help accounting practitioners of all sizes, from sole proprietors to top 100 firms. Avalara simplifies sales tax compliance with real-time rates, automated returns filing, registrations, tax research, and automated tax solutions for specialized tax areas. We live and breathe tax, so you don't have to. Learn more at avalara.com accountants. Thank you to everyone who's joining us live. Thank you, Sarah, for joining us. Hi, Sarah. Hello, Foresight Accounting Solutions from Denver. We've got Carl from Fresno, Anna from Kentucky. Let's get to our topic today, which is positioning. I am very excited to learn from Hector about how to position your firm to present the greatest value to clients. I spent uh, about four years in marketing roles. And so I've done a few positioning exercises at technology companies but I've never done one for an accounting firm. I never did one for my own firm. I've never participated in one at an accounting firm. And I'm, so I'm, I'm really excited to learn from Hector what is positioning and, and how do we do it and, and why. So Hector, actually my first question for you is, and I'll hand things over, why are we starting a series about practice management with positioning? Isn't, isn't positioning a marketing thing? I think that in the world of business, Everything is a marketing thing. You know, in one way, shape, or form, you're always selling yourself, selling your products, selling the value of your products, and selling your advantage over your competition. So the very first fundamental piece about having a successful and focused firm is to know and understand what is your stake in the ground? What is the one thing that you stand for? Why do you do it? And why do you do it better than everyone else? That way, customers come to you and you don't chase after them. Positioning is the space that your firm or your brand occupies in your customer's mind. When they think of your brand, think of you, think of your business, what is the, immediately the next reaction that they get? What do they think about? What are their feelings towards that brand? That's positioning. And the good news is that even though we do our, we, we establish our positioning through action, right? So what we do, how we solve problems, the many customers that we take care of over the years, and then they recommend us word of mouth to other customers. They position us as good accountants, et cetera, et cetera. We can all also create an alternate positioning simply based on how we communicate, who we are and what we do. And today's session is all about how to establish uh, a positioning that's purposeful and it comes from the place that you have designed because you want to focus your practice in that direction. So that's why we start with positioning and that's session one of eight. But then we're also going to cover through the eight uh, part mini series, we're going to cover your business model. So what, what is the business model? Can you transform it? Can you change it? How does that affect the operations of your business? We're going to talk about technology or the tech stack. We're going to talk about sales process and onboarding, such an important topic. And a lot of the the, the positive results from a good sales process and onboarding, um, onboarding workflow come or stem from a good positioning state. Because when the customers know and understand where you're coming from, it makes it much easier for you to tell them how things are going to be done and how, how you're going to serve them, how you're going to collaborate, how much you're going to pay for your services, et cetera, et cetera. So then naturally, we're going to move into value pricing and offering guarantees or how to price your services based on the value you create for your customers, how to guarantee that value and how, and how to pretty much take the risk, right? That if you can't deliver the value, you won't get paid because that's the key 
to profitability. He's taking risk, which is very anti-accounting industry, right? Most accountants don't want to take any risk at all. So then we're going to move on to a, a topic that's going to be a little bit different than sort of strategy, pricing, and that sort of thing, which is attracting and retaining talent, a huge problem we have in our current, in our current industry. And it doesn't matter how good of a strategy you have, if you don't have people to help you execute the strategy, you're screwed, okay? Or if you don't have enough capacity yourself to do it because you don't have people to delegate the minutiae to, you're screwed, okay? Seven, we're going to talk about innovation through thought experiment. So we're going to teach you a technique that makes you think about your business in different perspectives and look at it through the lens of another industry. For example, we're going to talk about Disney. What, what happens if Disney enters our profession? We're going to do a thought experiment and we're going to sort of brainstorm about what are all the weird, quirky things that would Disneyfy the accounting industry and how would that be seen as a positive thing or a negative thing from customers. So we'll innovate through that thought experimentation. And lastly, we'll, we'll wrap it, the eight-part mini, mini series with just talking about wrapping it up to practice. What, what does this all mean in the middle of tax season while we're running a practice while we're having customers? complaints, all, you know, all the issues that we have to do, deadlines. So how do, how do we manage it all once we're in the middle of it? So that's the eight-part series, and we're going to start with positioning. So if you allow me, let's get right started with the content. So we're going to break this down into three parts. So there's basically three lessons that I want you to walk out, out of this session with. Three lessons. One is the focus firm strategy. The second one is deep expertise. And the third is the unique positioning statement. And you have to embrace all three of these so you can come back and say, okay, I think I understand what positioning is, and I think I know how to execute a positioning strategy. So let's, let's start with a focus firm strategy. So let's start with this concept. Better is better than average. Of course, you want your firm to be known as better than the average firm. But different is better than better. Of course, you want people to know your firm and your brand as being different, not just slightly better than everyone else. It is different. Like they can identify your firm with your style, with your services, with your solution. But guess what? Guess what? Unique is better than different because unique is not replicable. Unique doesn't have a competition. But can we take it to a, a step further and can we turn uniqueness into a monopoly. And most people think monopoly, it's a negative term, right? Because, you know, in the 90s and the 80s and all these legal issues with companies becoming conglomerates and having, quote unquote, monopolies over their markets. Well, there are ways to do monopolies that don't uh, entrench into those issues. You can be a monopoly simply by creating your own category. You, the only way to create your own category is instead of trying to solve the problem that your customers are telling you they have, explain to them problems that they didn't know they had and explain to them the value that they can derive from solving that problem, possibly proactively, right? The problems they could have in the future and focus on that. And then once people know you as the one that solves that problem that they didn't even know they had, you effectively created your own category. And as the first person in that category, you will have a monopoly. Now, if you did it right, if you do monopoly right, people will copy you. And the moment that people copy you, 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 you know you did it right. And instead of frowning upon, oh, they copied my idea, guess what? You were known as the leader first time you created. Go create a new idea. The beautiful thing about the knowledge economy, about being accountants, accounting professionals, and knowledge workers, is that creativity, it's unlimited. Ideas are unlimited. And reframing the way we solve problems for our customers is also unlimited. You have got to stop thinking about the man side, right? There are so many customers that have so many problems that need so many tax returns. You have got to stop thinking about the opportunity as a see-or-some game where some take and some don't take, right? You have to create the new opportunities. You have to be creative. Now, creative accounting in this particular concept means be creative in how you approach solving problems for your customers. I'm not saying to do it illegally or unethically. I'm saying be creative on how 
you approach solving the problem for your customers. So here's a simple technique. It's called the back of the napkin focus firm strategy. Can you tell your firm strategy in seven lines in the back of a napkin? And these seven lines would have to have one statement for each of these words. Whom, who, what, when, where, how, and why. Get a piece of paper, write it down. Whom, who, what, when, where, how, why. And then next to each of these words, you're going to write a simple statement which says, what is your strategy in each of these seven lines? Now, whom is, whom do you serve? Who is your target customer? Who is that persona of a customer that you want to target? And who is, who is the person that's going to solve that problem? Is it yourself? Is it the type of team members that you want to attract? We're going to have a whole session on, on that piece. Is it the team that you have now? Is it the team that you're working on developing? Is it the team that you have now that they're a bunch of experts and they're ready to serve the, the market? So first line, whom? Who are the target customers? Who is the people that's going to do it? That is what I call the people category of the five Ps. Then we're going to do what, when, and where. So what? What is the problem specifically? What is the expensive problem that you solve for customers? And when do you do them? When do you solve them by? In terms of timing, because in the service industry, timing is key. And people don't spend a whole bunch of time thinking about how timing is a value proposition. Amazon makes timing a value proposition, right? Your Amazon Prime member, you get it in two days, next day, sometimes same day. But if you're not an Amazon Prime member, you don't have access to that. Jiffy Louvre, walk in, walk out in an hour, your oil change is done. So when is a strategy? Are you a same day problem solver? Do you solve problems over the course of two or three years? If you transform a client, it's probably going to take you two or three years. If you do a quick 1040 tax return for somebody that walks in your office, well, you could probably be a same day, same day provider. It's very difficult to have a business that is both a same day provider for some customers and a long-term value creator for some customers. As part of your strategy, you have to define that. And that is to define you. Where? This is one that's getting blurry and possibly at some point it won't even matter because the world is so small at this point and so connected. And in the post-COVID world, people are used to meeting online and that sort of thing. But in some places, where is both a limiting and a strategic uh, intent for your business. So for example, if you only work with customers in South Florida, you only work with customers in Canada, you only work with customers that have moved from the US to the Dominican Republic and you do their expat returns. So think about how location affects how you market your brand strategy and your position. And that when, where, and what is what I describe the second P of the five Ps, which is the problem. So we started with people, whom, who. Now we went to problem, what, when, where. And now we're going to talk about the process. The process is the how. So how do we solve the problem? What is our unique approach to solving that problem? And why do we solve that problem in the first place? Why are we passionate about solving that problem? Why does our customer care about solving that problem? Why do your employees and employees you want to attract will care about that problem so much that they will work for you at a lower rate than your competitor who's also desperate for talent. So that will be the, 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 the fifth P process, which encompasses the how and the why. And then after you got those seven lines done, whom, who, what, when, where, how, and why, then you can think about the other uh, two Ps of the five Ps, which is product and price. Unfortunately, most accounting firms most business owners start a business immediately with, this is what I sell, and this is for how much I sell it with. And they don't take a step back to think about what are the people? What is the problem? What is the process? That basically guides, is a guiding principle to designing the perfect product for the perfect customer, for the perfect problem that that product is designed to resolve. And then the perfect price, the perfect price that the customer feels 
that is worth paying for and you feel that it's worth working for. So we get that double thank you moment where you give them a product, they, give you, they, they pay you your price, and both people are happy. So those five Ps, people, problem, process, product, and price. And by the way, product and price, we're going to cover that in other sessions when we talk about sales process and onboarding and value pricing and guarantees. But right now, we got to take a step back from that because I know that that's the, the really exciting stuff is we got to fundamentally set up a strategy that allows us to understand why does our business exist in the first place. So let's talk about an example. So let's say, for example, that we are CPAs with real estate licenses that work with commercial real estate investors in Southern California. And we know these investments represent a large cash outlay during the tax year, and they don't have a tax benefit during the current year, creating a cash flow crunch. So we, as, re- as CPAs with real estate licenses, are experts in implementing cost segregation studies and other advanced deduction accelerated techniques that save taxes and free up cash flow. So our clients can expand the portfolio and positively impact their communities. If you can cohesively say a long statement like this, then you have a great strategy. You have a focused firm. Let's break this example down. Whom? CPAs with real estate licenses, right? Specialists, correct? Who? Commercial real estate investors. Where? In Southern California. What? What is the problem? Turning uh, large cash outlays into a potential tax saving. When? In the current tax year, specifically by April 15th. How? Through a cost segregation study. And why? Because we want them to positively impact the communities they invest in. Let's hear that again. We are CPAs with real estate licenses that work with commercial real estate investors in Southern California. We know these investments represent large cash outlays during the tax year without a benefit on that tax year. So we implement cost segregation studies and other advanced deduction acceleration techniques that save on taxes and free up cash flow so they can continue to expand the portfolio and positively impact their communities. That's how you write a focus firm strategy. Now, another way to think about strategy, it's through the clients that you don't take, through the work that you will not do. If you have a really difficult time going through those same uh, questions, the same, the, 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 the seven uh, back of the napkin strategy lines, if you have a tough time with that, then you know what? Scratch that. Think about this. Write this down. Write down a list of all the clients that you wouldn't take, whether it's their personality, their industry, their business size. And what is all that work that you won't do? You won't do taxes. You won't do audits. You won't do X, Y, Z, right? So if you, the minute you start making an inventory of both the clients you don't take and the work that you will not do, then all of a sudden, the opposite of that, it's your area of opportunity. And that you can remove 20, 30% of the market, maybe even more if you're much more discriminating by just doing this piece of exercise, it will make it so much easier to then hone down on that specific client and specific problem you want to work with. A differentiated firm says no more often than yes. And if you want to be a focused firm, you got to learn how to say no. If you want to focus at work, you have to turn off instant messaging. got to say no. If you want to focus at work because you got a deadline, you cannot answer the text messages. you got to say no. And when a customer says, hey, I'm a great customer with this great opportunity, that is not part of your differentiation strategy, you got to say no. And I know the challenge with this is you don't want to seem like a bad person. You don't want to seem like a rude person. But sometimes people will respect that no if it comes from a place of truth. And the place of truth comes from having a purpose. How do we even know when to say no? And that's 
when you have a purpose-driven strategy. You can only confidently say no to clients when you know which are the clients that you can confidently say yes to. Think about that. If you don't have a list of clients that you're comfortable saying yes to, that you know you want to say yes to, then how are you going to be comfortable knowing who you're going to say no to? So that requires you to have a strategy, a target market, and most importantly, a purpose. So you need a purpose. Every business needs a purpose. Accounting and not accounting. Everybody needs a purpose. We communicate our purpose via a purpose statement. A good purpose statement is aspirational, but not vague, and it's precise, but not limiting. So a good purpose statement is aspirational, not vague, and precise, but not limiting. It's a delicate balance between aspiration and precision. So what would be a bad purpose statement? To make the world a better place. I mean, I love the sentiment behind making the world a better place, but who's going to rally behind such a vague concept like the world, right? And also, what does better mean? Better means different things to different people. So you have to be able to define the specific target market and the specific problem that you solve. Let's think about a great purpose statement. I help orthodontists spend more time at home. Orthodontists is a very specific group of people. Not every dentist calls himself an orthodontist. So not even dental industry, it's orthodontics. And more time at home is precise, is measurable, and it's not limiting. Well, technically, 24 hours a day would be the limit. But for the most part, people, I mean, most people love to work. I love to work. I drive a lot of purpose from work. And these clients, orthodontists, that I help spend more time at home, they probably want a balance between working and spending more time at home. But they want to choose when they want to spend more time at home. That's why it's precise, because we can measure, they can measure how many hours are working at the practice or how many hours are working on their business and not in their business. And they can work on their business from home with their family. So think about the difference between a bad purpose statement and a great purpose statement. You need to have a purpose because if you don't stand for something, then you stand for nothing. Remember, a full-service firm is a no-service firm. And that is a really difficult switch to make in your head because most of us start practices with full-service firms, and that's okay. We got to start standing for something. Now, again, how do we say no to these clients and prospects? Easily. When that client and prospect comes in, you ask yourself the question, does this work or the work they want us to do or this client get us closer or farther? from our purpose. Very easy. Once you have a purpose statement, it's just very easy because it's just a yes or no question. Now, what about the internal side of purpose? Do we have a purpose for ourselves and a purpose for our employees? Because I can help orthodontists spend more time at home, but what about me as a practitioner, as a business owner, as the employee, as the employer? So, Think about having both an external purpose and an internal purpose. So let's do an example. An external purpose could be to help pet product-based e-commerce businesses reduce their returns to immaterial levels within a year of engagement. Let's break that down. To help pet product-based e-commerce businesses reduce their returns to immaterial levels within a year of engagement. And that's because I know that pet product-based e-commerce businesses get a whole bunch of returns. And those returns get in their way of profits. And the stress of dealing with returns and the stress of not having profits prevents that business owner from taking more vacations. And my purpose as a business owner, as an accountant, as a consultant, is to help my clients take more vacations. So my purpose my external purpose ties up with my internal purpose. 
But let's say we have a different internal purpose. It's a little bit more sort of business-driven. Let's say our internal purpose is to become the top experts in all things e-commerce while giving our team total control of their work-life schedule. So we have this big goal of being a top expert in e-commerce, but also this limiting or partially limiting uh, area where we want to respect our clients, I mean, our, our employees, time at home, vacation time, that sort of thing. So sometimes you need your external purpose and your internal purpose to sort of balance each other out. So let's say an example, a new, new prospect has some quirky thing in their accounting that you've never seen before. Using a new e-commerce channel, and, and you, you've never worked with it before. You're probably not going to be able to fulfill that purpose in that short term, right? Within the year, reducing that return rate. Because you don't know how long it's even going to take you to deal through all these little new quirks. However, your internal purpose is to be an expert or top expert in all things e-commerce. So you know that taking on this client could be a huge learning opportunity. That maybe if you say yes to this project, possibly at a pay cut or even for free, to fulfill that internal purpose, it will in, in turn fuel you or allow you to multiply that external purpose in the future. So this is an, a situation where you can have an internal and external uh, purpose sort of conflicting each other, and it's okay to say yes to that type of work, especially when you're in the beginning stages of your business, building that expertise. Now, that external purpose should trump the internal purpose, at least from the customer's perspective. But we always have to respect the wishes of that internal purpose. What's my purpose statement? As I mentioned earlier, to help my clients take more vacations. I'm not a travel agent. I'm an accountant. Taking more vacations is a measurable action. Why? Where's the inspiration behind my own personal Hector Garcia's purpose statement is, I'm a busy and passionate business owner myself. I've been in business for 14 years. I know how hard, how hard it is to disconnect from my business, even for a few days, without worrying about my business imploding. And I have four kids. So I also worry about how my kids are going to think about their parents, their dad, when they're older. What kind of memories are they going to have? Are they going to have memories of a workaholic dad that spends too much time in their business because they're a busy, passionate business owner? Or are they going to have the memories and vacations are one of the areas that, that sort of build uh, permanent memories in your head? So I'm passionate about that personally. That's where my inspiration comes from. So I have a true why that drives my purpose statement. And look, if everyone that listens to this or watches this goes out and says, my purpose statement is to help my clients take more vacations, then I know I did it right. And now it's time to innovate. I come up with a better one. And that's okay. And that's okay. Let's talk about Apple's purpose statement. There's no surprise why Apple is the most powerful company, at least technology company in the world. Because their purpose statement is exactly what they do, which is to bring the best user experience to its customers through its innovative hardware, software, and services. It couldn't be any clearer what Apple's purpose statement is. And as a customer, as a consumer, as a buyer of Apple products, it's very clear to me too. Let me give you another example that's going to be even more interesting. External purpose of Disney World Parks. We're not talking about Disney, the company. The purpose of the parks, because the parks is its own operation. The external purpose of Disney World Parks is to create happiness. What is their internal purpose? If you could dream it, you can build it. So what we've done is we've given our employees, Disney gave their employees or their cast members, they gave them the keys to success. They said, your job is to create happiness. And do not ever think that you don't have the tools to do it. They come from your head. That means Disney World Parks does not have to micromanage their employees in every action. As long as they're building what they dreamt and creating happiness through it, they're fulfilling their purpose. And guess what? If you've ever been to a Disney World Park, execute that beautifully. Okay, let's move on to deep expertise. 
Blake, should we stop and uh, do some uh, questions? I have a question from Rachel, uh, and I encourage anyone who has questions about purpose and what Hector just talked about to please put those in the chat. I will read those. First, let's take a break and hear a message from our sponsor, Avalara. Again, thank you to Avalara for providing the financial support to make this series possible. Did you know that 52% of accounting practitioners from small to large still rely on spreadsheets and manual processes for sales tax compliance? It's time to stop and focus on automation. The Avalara for Accountants Suite empowers even the smallest practitioner to support clients' tax compliance needs. All firms can benefit from their referral program. Simply refer clients to Avalara and let them assist on your behalf. For practices that offer direct compliance services, you can use Avalara for Accountants award-winning tools to help you start or grow a tax compliance or CAS service. Expressly designed for accounting service providers with multiple clients, solutions include real-time rates, automated returns filing, registrations, tax research, and automated tax solutions for specialized tax areas. Partner with Avalara and grow your practice with efficient and accurate sales tax compliance while reducing risks for you and your clients. To learn more, contact Avalara at accountants at avalara.com. Just send them an email, accountants at avalara.com, or you can visit them at avalara.com slash accountants. And Hector, I think there's a tie-in here to focusing a firm you could focus your firm on sales tax compliance for e-commerce companies. And I have interviewed a firm that does exactly that. They only take on e-commerce stores of a certain size and they handle all of their sales tax compliance. That's one way you could focus. I agree hundred uh, percent. So we did have a question from the audience, right? Yeah. So Rachel asked, uh, and this is actually a question I had as well, because it's really hard when you're just starting out or you're building a practice to say no. And Rachel says, can I say no to some clients, even though I just started my business and I am in search for my first client? That's a really good question, Rachel. So I'm going to start with a quote from my first mentor in the industry. So I started my business in 2008 and I met my mentor who was a CPA. I wasn't a CPA then in 2009. And we've been doing this. We've been working together for about three weeks. And I started thinking about all the things that he doesn't do. He doesn't do bookkeeping. He doesn't do sales tax. He doesn't do this. He doesn't do valuation. He doesn't do audits. And, and I, I was obviously a lot younger and, and just very bullish on all the potential services that we could offer together in partnership. He had a lot of clients. I was just getting started. And I was just eager to say, let's do this, and let's do this, and let's do that. And then he told me, Hector, 10 years takes 10 years. <laughs> and at the moment, I thought, okay, that's a, such a weird rhetorical advice. But I could tell you, after doing this for more than 10 years, what I do now, I couldn't do 10 years ago. And it would have been very difficult for me to call myself an expert 10 years ago. I had to go through being a generalist, not having deep expertise, saying a, yes a bunch of times and having to deal with the consequences of dealing with clients I don't want to deal with doing work I didn't like to do. But that was part of the learning experience. So what I say is, if you're just getting started, when you think about these positioning statements and these purposes, start with a purpose. Maybe you don't have to be as narrow, but a purpose where at least you have some guardrails. Like, I won't do nonprofit, or I won't deal with shady clients. Right? Or I won't deal with uh, your clients are always moving, uh, dealing with cash, for example. So, so you can pick uh, guardrails that maybe are not as narrow. Um, so at least you don't ever feel you're not doing the work that, you're, that, that doesn't fulfill you. But it'll be very difficult for you to just grab this micro niche and start working with it right away. Not impossible. So what I say is, as long as you have set of values that are broad enough, but also specific to you, um, you, you you're probably going to be saying a lot of yeses before you start saying a lot, uh, some no's. So I know it's a little counterintuitive for what I'm saying, but you get there, okay? I read a book called Range. Uh, the author was Epstein, and 
he in one of the stories that he makes, you know, the top tennis player in the world started playing soccer and then baseball and then basketball. And he didn't touch a racket until he was 16. And he believes, he was interviewed, that those fundamental skills of the other sports made him an all-around good athlete that allowed him to understand tennis even better. So I am okay, Rachel, with you saying some yeses that you're not going to be saying yeses to in 10 years. Hector, I like what you said about the client doesn't have to fit your positioning statement exactly as long as it gets you in that direction, if you're, if you're headed that way. So think about it that way, right? Like if I take on this client, even though it's not exactly the kind of client I want, does it get me in that right direction? And, and you know, um, the best industry, which I was, was going to say earlier, the best industry to think about these deep expertise and specialization, the industry that's actually, when you hear the word specialist, immediately think of the industry. Like if you're at a dinner party and you say, I need a specialist, people don't think of an accountant that knows a particular area of accounting. They think of a specific type of doctor, don't they? The medical industry has done such a good job at building specializations that even the word specialist is synonymous with a specific type of doctor. And all doctors start in the morgue looking at dead bodies, in the ER dealing with every single kind of problem. And then they progress to neurosurgeon for babies that are malformed that were born in Africa, right? What ends up happening is over time, you start narrowing down, narrowing down and being more discriminative. And a doctor in their late 50s, early 60s, in top of their game, hyper-specialist, would not even dream about going back to the ER or being going back to the generalist. All specialists start as a generalist, but I can all, almost guarantee you that no specialists ever go back. So as, as Blake said, as long as it's within a path, a path of progress. And it's a great segue to talk about deep expertise. Great question, Rachel. So when you think about deep expertise, what I want you to think about is grabbing one of these two options. Now, we, we, could, we could go a lot deeper than this, but just simplify it. We can either go with a narrow customer base broad problem or a broad customer base and narrow problem. So for example, a narrow customer would be an orthodontist. A broad problem would be accounting, bookkeeping, tax. A, bro a broad customer would be all customers. A narrow problem would be fixing broken payroll and amending 941s. And you can build a specialty either in the specific problem that you solve or if you want to solve many problems, because I know it's cool to solve many problems, then look for specific customers to solve it for. Because otherwise, it's very difficult to build deep expertise. Trust me when I tell you, it's hard to do cash flow planning for an e-commerce business, inventory management for a manufacturing company, bookkeeping for a nonprofit that has a whole bunch of classes and locations to track and deal with financial reporting with multiple board, board members that are very anal about the position of each account in the chart of accounts, it's hard for you to take those three customers and be good at all three. You can be mediocre plus in all three. You can never be truly great in all three. Granted, there might be a savant out there that could, okay? But the reality is, for most of us mortals, we got to pick one. It's the only way to build deep expertise. So there's two ways to build a deep expertise. We can go with horizontal expertise, which is when you know a particular problem very well across multiple verticals. And a vertical expertise, when you know a particular vertical industry very well and can solve multiple problems for them. Now, one of the things that people get a little bit worried about when we talk about specializing is we say that we're specialized and they immediately think, oh, that means I have to pick an industry. There are other verticals that are not an industry. For example, an entity structure. Maybe you work with only S-Corps or only C-Corps or only single-member LLCs or only multi-member LLCs. Maybe you work with nonprofits. Maybe you work with B-Corps, which is not even a legal entity. It's more of a marketing entity, but that's a thing. 
Maybe you work with companies that have a specific ownership structure, single owners, family-owned, multi-generational-owned, non-spousal partnerships. I had an accountant that I met in a conference that said, I only work with partnerships that have more than, that have two or more partners that are not spouses. And I was like, that's a weird niche. Why did you even pick that? He said, well, my background is in arbitration. If you know what arbitration is, that's when you settle issues out of court. And he became a CP after. And he said, my best skill is helping two people that are not related come into terms, whether the terms are to dissolve the company in good terms or continue to work the company with better, more explicit, more equitable terms. And I'm good at that. So I focus on non-spousal partnerships, any industry. So I want you to think beyond just industry when we talk about specializing. What about the stage of the business? Work with startups, businesses that are mature, businesses that are going to exit or sell to a bigger company, or businesses that are going to succeed. There's a very, very specific skill set to learn how to deal with a retiring dad and a young son that wants to change everything. The retired parents have been in business for 30 years. They know what works. They built the business that their son literally walked into, <laughs> had to do nothing to build. But now the son wants to change everything, add technology, modernize. There's a specific skill and just deal with that transition. You can focus on that. Demographic. There's many people that do women-owned businesses or immigrant-owned businesses. What about intent-based? Businesses are disrupting X industry or businesses that are solving world hunger, or businesses that are solving um, climate crisis, whatever. So you can pick the intent of the client that you're going to serve as your specialty, because probably you're passionate on, the set, on that intent, and also maybe you can connect with them in that level because you understand it. And geographic too, right? It's a Miami-based, it's a multi-state. For example, if you were focusing on sales tax, and you were using Avalara, you would probably look for clients that have multi-state presence, multi-state nexus. And a client comes to you with a single state, you probably can't help them because you charge a lot of money for sales tax uh, uh, management. And there's a whole bunch of people that do single state sales tax for a, a fraction of what you charge. You cannot command your price unless you specialize in multi-state. Just an example. Other ways to build technical expertise is you can intern yourself of a company in that vertical or take clients. This is a, an interesting one. Take clients at a nominal or free <laughs> rate so you can get that exposure. I guarantee you you're not going to learn how to do e-commerce accounting until you have a username and a password for an active Amazon account, Amazon account that you can connect to your QuickBooks or whatever. And you're not going to get a username and password for an active Amazon account until you pick up a client that you have. And you won't pick up a client until they agree to work with you, which is either at this crazy price because you have to learn all, all of it or at an aggressive enough price where they say, okay, I know you're not an expert, but I'm willing to pay a little bit less so we can both learn in the process. And sometimes you have to bite the bullet. Education is not free. You can volunteer in their industry organizations or hang out at their gathering, at their meetings, at their conferences. Subscribe to their magazines. Subscribe to their web publications. Read what they're reading so you can talk to them about that. Attend their continuing education courses. I know a CPA friend of mine that specializes on, on realtors. You know what he does? Every year, he takes the end of the year uh, continuing education course that's like around December. And there are big groups, like 120 people, taking the last sort of end of the year course so they can renew their license. He's there. And guess what? He's learning what they're learning. And guess what? He's rubbing elbows with all his future customers. Read the books they read. Listen to the podcasts they listen to. Create content, podcasts, articles, ebooks, videos, even if they're very basic or, or very wrong. That's okay of the things that you're learning along the way. Read the feedback from people. They will tell you what they like, what's missing, and they will tell you what else they want to learn. 
and they will send you through the correct rabbit hole to learn the things they want to learn so you can connect with them and pick up those clients. Network with other colleagues that are known in that field. Offer help to get subcontracted or to help with those jobs. Create a database of all your learnings, an internal uh, database of all those learnings. Hire an employee. This will, this will be the most costly one. Hire an employee that already comes with expertise. This will be the most expensive one, but it will work really well to your advantage. And the ultimate expert is the one that combines horizontal and vertical expertise. A periodontist that works with female adults with Down syndrome. Now, that periodontist is going to have probably less than 100 patients versus periodontists with thousands. But they're going to get patients with people from all over the world because they have very specific needs. And that's okay. What about a CPA that doesn't do taxes, but is an inventory management consultant for health supplement businesses expanding into e-commerce? So they went from retail or um, you know, selling at a gym to selling e-commerce. And I help them with inventory management, not taxes. That's the ultimate expert. Horizontal and vertical combined. General, these are great because they understand the entire business ecosystem. And they say yes very often. But what's the problem? They, they're going to literally compete against the world. In today's world, any generalist can compete with you. They solve simple and mundane problems. And they won't have time to, to dig deep and can never have a lasting impact in their customers. Specialists are great because they understand their clients' specific issues and can command significant pricing because they're differentiated. Some of the cons of being a specialist is you always have to be learning new things, staying on top of the latest developments, etc. Yes, you will have a smaller pool of clients to choose from, and typically you have to say no more often than not. As I said earlier, most specialists start as generalists. But most generalists will never go back. Most specialists will never go back to being generalists. So now let's talk about how. How do we do this? How do we pull this whole thing together? Okay? We picked the specialty. We built the strategy. Now how do we communicate that to our customers? That's called building a unique positioning statement. And this is the opportunity you have to complement your company name and slogan. However, it's so that you, you have a shirt, you have a business card, you have a truck with you. How do you complement that with a unique positioning statement? So, for example, assume your company name is Real CPAs of SoCal LLC or Real CPAs SoCal LLC, and your slogan is Real Tax Savings for Real Estate Investors. That's beautiful, by the way. Beautiful. I made that up. That company doesn't exist. Feel free to take it. But how do I complement that with a unique positioning statement? And we talked about. Um, the strategy statement earlier. Now let's talk about the unique position statement. This is how you would talk to someone in a dinner party when they say, hey, what do you do? And you're not going to say, I'm a CPA. You're going to say, we help commercial real estate investors improve their cash flow through cost segregation studies and deduction accelerated ta accelerating tax savings so they can capitalize on the next big opportunity. Say it again. We help commercial real estate investors improve their cash flow through cost segregation studies and deduct, deduction accelerating tax savings so they can capitalize on the next big opportunity. Capitalize on the next big opportunity is the last statement that hits home. Because if you are a commercial real estate consultant, accountant, realtor, you know that it's all about the opportunities. It's all about, do I have the cash at that moment to buy that property at that moment? So it hits home because it's the problem, the expensive problem that you're solving for your customers. They need to feel that last statement and go, oh, that's the guy for me. That's the guy for me. That's the person that's uniquely positioned to solve my expensive problems. And when you solve expensive problems, they pay expensive prices. But your customer needs to know the problem is expensive in order for them not to think your price is expensive because expensive problems have high prices. 
not non-expensive problems have expensive prices. The word expensive is a relative term. It means cost versus value. Another example, and I, I actually consulted with a CPA that works with periodontists. That's where all these comments come from. But we came up with this together, and I'm very proud of it, by the way. I almost cry every time I say it because it is such a good one. We, expand, we help expanding periodontists manage their cash flow by providing real estate actionable accounting reports so they can focus on making their patients smile. Because a periodontist, it's in the business of smiles. He's in the business of helping their clients gain, confident, gain confidence by looking like they have teeth and being able to smile. That hits home with your clients. If you focus on that, your clients are going to go, ah, there's no other accountant out there for me. You're the accountant for me because you understand what my purpose is. You need to tap into your client's purpose. And you won't know your client's purpose until you specialize on that type of client. That's really important. Another important unique positioning statement is, uh, or a, a technique, is to use a simple horizontal formula. A solves B. A being us, we, our firm, and B being the problem that we solve. A solves B. So an example of that is, I'm a CPA that fixes cash flow problems. That's your first step. That's the simplest step. If you can at least start there, you're on your path. Let's look at the vertical version of this. A, specializing in C. A being I, we, my company, my accounting firm. C being that persona or that target customer. So A, specializing in C. An example of that is I'm a CPA that specializes on periodontists. What about the combining of the horizontal and the vertical? This is where it gets really, really exciting. You start honing down, right? You, what you can do. You can do all these as an exercise and start honing down. So A solves B problem for C. So you mentioned both things. Now you're in that vertex of horizontal and vertical. So I'm a CPA that fixes cash flow problems for expanding periodontists. So that's A solves B problem for C. Now, super advanced formula. This is like black belt positioning statement which is A solves B problem for C customer through D, that's your how, so they can E. So A solves B problem, which is, which is the most expensive problem for C, who is the customer, through D, which is your skills, your specialty, your process, your know-how, so they can E, which is the desired future state or their purpose, right? When I say, so they can focus on helping the patients smile, that's their purpose. So how, an example of this would be, I fix cash flow problems for expanding periodontists with real-time bookkeeping, being that know-how, so they can focus on helping the patients, curing the patients, helping the patients smile. So that's a super advanced version of it where you hit all the points. Okay, you, you say, who I am, the problem that we solve, who do we solve it for, how do we solve it, and why do we solve it in the first place? Again, super advanced, uh, black belt, unique positioning statement, but that's the, the idea is that you get there. I want you to get there. There's also what I call unique positioning statement as a question. And this is a really cool one. So when somebody asks you, hey, what do you do? What you do is you answer with a rhetorical question. You say, you know how B problem for C customer it's a big pain in the butt. Well, I am A, who gets them to E, the desired future state. So here's an example. You know how churning employees in restaurants is such a costly issue? Well, I'm a CPA that focuses on payroll and benefits management so they can retain their top talent and serve their customers better. So it's really cool because instead of just saying it, you answer your own question and it, it's almost like you had a conversation while you were explaining what you were doing. I like this one a lot. This one's easier for me to do personally, right? Ask a question, answer a question. 
And it works well. It works well in, in a business setting, right? You're you're talking to people and they ask, "Oh, what do you do?" You just memorize this. So, um, yeah. yeah, I love it. And, and you know, one of the like, like people ask me, Hector, how do I know what's that rhetorical question I should ask? Well, well, if you serve that industry, you ask them. You know, what are your yeah. bigger pain points? What's your biggest? What is your mo- what's your biggest challenge? Right? Issue? Yeah, and they'll yeah, tell what's you your biggest challenge. Yeah. So you make consensus on their biggest challenge and you turn that into a question and you turn that into a positioning statement that stems from your strategy and your purpose statement. So finally, what are those expensive problems that you're talking about, Hector? What are these expensive problems that you're talking about? Well, what's an expensive problem to one of your customers? Be able to increase sales. It's an expensive problem because if they don't increase them, they don't make money, right? Reduce costs. It's an expensive problem because they're actually paying expenses, penalties, taxes. Reducing costs. It's an expensive problem. Increasing profitability. That means understanding their margins. If they're product-based, are they buying the raw materials and the product from the right places? Are they offering uh, cash flow discounts? To Are they taking advantage of early pay discounts? Another big expensive problem is waste reduction. So moot and duplicate efforts. So we integrate apps. We'll talk about tech stack in a different session. We integrate apps because we want to reduce waste. What about saving time? Almost everything that we do and what our customers want to do, want to achieve, has a big, long learning curve. They hire us because we come with a reduced learning curve. What about generating self-confidence? If you don't generate self-confidence for people, or you don't create self-confident business owners, they're going to be slow to make decisions. And if they're slow to make decisions, they're not going to capitalize on the next big opportunity. And, and their competitor will eat them alive. alive. Very expensive problem. The most expensive problem you can have is a business going out of business. What about having an independent opinion? Having a reality check. Sometimes business owners need a reality check. They're dreaming way too much. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes there's an, just having an independent person to give them answers. It's an expensive problem that you're solving. And lastly, peace of mind. If customers don't have peace of mind, business owners don't have peace of mind, they cannot focus their attention on developing their business, on fulfilling their purpose. So it's your turn. I'm going to give you some homework. It's your turn. One, I want you to make inventory of all those unique skills and deep expertise you built through the years that tell you apart from others and help you become your own monopoly. Two, I want you to state what is your why. Why do you do what you do and why should anyone care? Number three, I want you to create a unique positioning statement that reflects those first two we talked about just now. Tell it to at least 10 people with different walks of life and get feedback. And four, take that feedback, refine your unique positioning statement until it leads you to the focused practice that you want to build. Thank you. And Blake, are there any other questions? If you have any questions, now is your chance. Please put those in the chat. I'll remind everyone how you can earn CPE. Download the Earmark CPE app on the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store. Join our email list. I will send out a link to the course when it's available. We're going to take this video, turn it into an on-demand course on the app. So if you only caught a part of this, you can go back and watch the rest of it. Then you answer a quick five-question quiz on the course and you'll get your CPE certificate. So whether you watch live, whether you watch on-demand or a mix, Uh, you can get your CPE that way. And we've got lots of other great shows on the app as well. So um, do join us on Earmark. And subscribe to this channel so that you get notified when we go live. We're going to do this every Friday at 11.30 a.m. Pacific, 2.30 p.m. Eastern for the next eight weeks or so. Um, It's been wonderful having you here. Thank you for joining us for our first live stream with Hector. Hector, anything I left out that you'd like to add? Yeah, I'd just like to answer the last question that was submitted just now, which is, 
What is the difference between branding and position? So great question, Mike. So branding is your identity. How do, how do customers identify your business without your face? <laughs> okay? And then your positioning is, what does it mean? So branding is your identity, and positioning is, what does it mean? You should also have a great company name. You should also have a great logo. You should also have colors that reflect the tone of the services that you're trying to um, reflect. You should also protect that brand and trademark it at all costs. But sometimes that little explanation, that position statement, brings it all home. So both things are important, branding and position. That's excellent. Thank you so much, Hector. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. We'll see you here next time. Bye.